Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. This is most likely my final dispatch from the Venice Film Festival, which announced its awards for the latest edition. The top prize, The Golden Lion, went to L'Evénement, or Happening, by French director Audrey Duan, which I talked about with Guy Lodge on the last episode. Jane Campion won Best Director for The Power of the Dog, which was featured in my episode with Christina Newland, where we also talked about the Silver Lion winner, The Hand of God from Paolo Sorrentino, and the Best Screenplay winner, Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter. And let's not forget Il Buco, the Special Jury Prize winner, which I chatted about with Jonathan Romney. So be sure to check out those earlier Venice podcasts for more on those movies and other movies that did not receive rewards. For my latest episode, which was recorded before the awards ceremony, I talked with critic Jessica Kiang, a contributor to Variety, The Playlist, and The New York Times. We discussed the formerly audacious film Reflection from Ukraine, with a shout-out to the conflict doc Trenches. We also talk about the controversial Italian drama The Catholic School, and one of Jessica's favorites of the festival, the life-giving Parallel Mothers, whose star, Penelope Cruz, won Best Actress. There will be much more to come this month, so if you don't want to miss out, you'll want to pause for a moment now to support The Last Thing I Saw. You can subscribe at my substack, repold.substack.com. And now, back to the movies. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another in the Venice series of episodes talking about what we're seeing right here. So this is, I'm actually physically here. <laughs> I, uh, for you, the listeners, I've traveled here. I can vouch for it. He's actually physically here, <laughs> actually in, in physically, physical person. Um, and vouching for my, my, my physical <laughs> presence, uh, if not my mental presence, um, <laughs> is, is Jessica Kiang right here, um, filing for... Variety in the playlist and uh, New York Times eventually. Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, great. You're doing the New York Times drop. Um, so look out for that. And I guess the last time we talked was for either Berlin or Sundance podcast. I forget which. Might have been Berlin. There are so <laughs> many festivals, Nick. Please don't ask me these yeah. questions. I'm on five of eight festivals at the moment. So, oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. Um, um, yes. I'm sure it was. Was it Berlin? It, it, it was Berlin. It might have been. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, this is, yes, another festival, and I, there's definitely, I think, one or two titles that we want to get into. I don't know if you want to say anything general about your experience uh, so far. Um, listen, this is, this is the Venice Film Festival, and it's a lovely environment, and it's one of my favorite major festivals. I think they tend to do a thing where, uh, you know, in previous years, it's, it's a little bit more difficult this year, of course, because of the pandemic restrictions, but... They seem to s somehow manage the uh, the scheduling here better yes. than in, in many other major festivals. So you do yeah. tend to get to see most things that you want to, but then also occasionally have time to, you know, have a, an Aperol spritz or seven with friends. And uh, yeah, and, and it also like the morning commute is just just can't be beaten. It's the nicest commute I have all year. Yeah, <laughs> it, the scheduling is not to be underestimated. And I find that just yeah conducive to actually being able to think about the movies. Exactly. And also, I mean, although I think this year, it, it 
it even more than usually it's been incredibly front-loaded yeah. um, and I think that actually maybe worked to the detriment of some of the some of the big films that like really mm. premiered during that mm. that very crushed first four or five days yeah um, so yeah I mean we'll be talking about one of those actually if we are going to be talking about the Jane Campion's Power of the Dog at all I mean I, I felt that that was yes that's positioning and especially also then because its premiere had to be in one of the less than ideal locations yeah that that's true and um, I, I mean, I guess people did appreciate The Lost Daughter as well, but I think that also some, maybe somehow came and went a little bit. Right, yeah, no, um, I was a huge fan of Lost Daughter. So oh, yeah, great, yeah, 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 me too. So, but we'll, we, we'll be talking about uh, a movie from, I guess, the latter half of the festival, and that is Reflection. Um, and the director is? Uh, Valentin Basjanovic. <laughs> <laughs> you like how I just uh, handed that over to you? Smooth. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and he directed Atlantis. That's uh, right. From, uh, I guess, even just a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. It, two won, years ago. it won the Venice Horizonte sidebar in 2019. 2019. And then I think it was already his country's candidate to become an Academy yeah. uh, Foreign Language nominee. And I thought that was spectacular me too well at the same time definitely being the feature film of a cinematographer yes. director yes but what did you make of his next feature well um i mean again it is very much the film of a cinematographer yeah. turned director <laughs> um and in this case actually cinematographer turned director writer editor yeah, uh yes yeah, so i was re reviewing it for a variety and we have to do the credits block and it was one of the easiest <laughs> credit blocks i had to do because it was just yeah. like he's, he's basically done everything and there is no music so it's like literally all of the credits are just him um so yes it's is as pure an auteurist piece as you can possibly imagine um and uh, I mean, we say he's like a cinematographer turned director, but he's like an incredibly um, formalist cinematographer mm -hmm. as well. He was, uh, he originally, I think, came to everybody's attention as a cinematographer on Miroslav Slaboszpitsky's The Tribe. Yes, that's which, it. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. an incredible film um, and uh, incredibly well shot. So, yes, and Atlantis, I was a huge fan of Atlantis. Um, and he has a, a, a very particular style where he has he sets up these very still very formal frames mm -hmm. um, and w sort of within them certain uh, you know small pieces of action take place but it's as much about the composition and the light mm -hmm. that he uses um, and he carries that through in great part to this it's not uh, quite as strictly formal I think as Atlantis was mm -hmm. um, and Atlantis also I mean he's he's a Ukrainian director and his his obvious concern is the Ukraine Russo-Ukrainian uh, conflict which is obviously still ongoing yeah. Um, and Atlantis was set in 2025, so there was a sort of a vague um, science fiction outline to it. It was yeah. like it gave him license, I think, to be um, to talk about the potential for for devastation. Yeah. Whereas um, Reflection is set in uh, November 2014, so he's dealing with things that he actually knows happened. Uh, I, I believe that the central, very visceral torture scenes are actually culled from, from the experiences oh, wow. of people who really did go to the, to the front. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, weirdly, I think I, I like Reflections maybe slightly less than, than Atlantis, but mm. um, I still think it's one of the most interesting and like provocative and richest, uh, most rewarding um, uh, films I've seen in the Venice competition so far, especially 
considering we're now in that sort of down portion of it when right. we're talking about how very overloaded the front half of the festival was yeah. with these really big shiny titles mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of the first one where we're actually I mean I suppose Il Buco would also be another of, of those mm -hmm. where we're looking for sort of maybe not they, it doesn't have any big stars in it it doesn't he yeah. isn't even really that big a name but uh, maybe for something slightly more challenging I suppose and it is mm -hmm. certainly deliver it's certainly challenging but it's really I found it really it's one of those ones that it's very difficult to sort of wholeheartedly recommend to somebody because it is mm. it's a it's a, a difficult film and you have to you really have to meet it on its own terms and you have to be willing to work with its obliqueness its opaqueness at times but again I just find his command of cinematography so compelling that even mm -hmm. when he's depicting something that is inherently gruesome or repulsive it's so beautifully composed that you can't tear your eyes away and that almost the the style of it and the approach that he brings uh, creates its own kind of energy creates its mm -hmm. own kind of, of storytelling and of compulsion um, so I found it really quite brilliant but again, very difficult. And it's also one of those ones that feels, I mean, appropriately because it's called reflection, but it feels a little bit like a reflecting pool that you can mm. you can see in it um, a whole bunch of different things. I think a lot of people could have seen this and had a completely different take on it than I did, for example. So a yeah. uh, bit of a pain in the ass if you're a, a reviewer <laughs> and you can't sound all definitive, like this is what this means. Right. Um, but I certainly know what it meant to me. And, uh, and uh, the more you think about it, I think the more, the more riches there are there. Yeah. I wonder if you could explain a little the the like premise of it sure. um because i saw it and and it sort of rapidly set something up and, and then you're kind of stuck with that yeah i don't mean that even in a negative way but he's just really he's you have to sit with this character as as, as he's covering and coping for most of the movie there's sort of this precipitating violent sort of overture to the movie yeah so i mean it starts it's it's uh about uh, a character called Sergei. Um, Sergei is a surgeon and he is a father and his ex-wife, his ex I guess, or you know, the, his ex-partner, uh, the mother of his daughter, is now with a new guy um, who's called Andre. And um, I think what's very interesting is in the very first of these very formal locked off shots, yeah. it's a really striking shot anyway. The paintball thing is just such a bizarre yeah. way to, to, to start. I mean, I sh should say, like, I think sometimes these these compositions are so they almost they contain almost like a sense of absurdity to the point of surreality at times. Um, yeah, uh, he, there was almost a Roy Anderson. There was know, a Roy Anderson element it, yeah. to it. Yes. And, and yeah. Anyway, so the very first uh, scene is sets up basically the relationship between these people and one of the uh, compelling things and interesting things about it as well is that the relationship between um, Sergei and Andre despite the fact that Andre is the is the stepfather I suppose figure um, mm -hmm. is actually quite cordial but there is already in this moment I think a sense of of um, Sergei feeling slightly uh, inadequate compared on the, on the manliness stakes compared to Andre who is a soldier who is a soldier already at the front and he has come back for the birthday of the of the girl Polina as the daughter um, uh, which is being held in this paintball um, facility uh, and so the the interaction between Sergei and Andre is the sort of the first interaction that we get and it's it's uh, it's kind of loaded there's a lot of things going on underneath it um, but there is a sense that we already get the sense in this one scene that Sergei has a slight sense of guilt that he's not mm -hmm. at the front, that right. he should, you know, even though he's a surgeon and he's operating on, on people who are wounded. Um, and so in the in the subsequent few scenes that we get after that, there's this feeling of him his 
having some sort of inner sense of guilt that he's not doing his patriotic mm. duty for Ukraine yeah. and not not going to fight kind of builds a little bit and then suddenly boom we're cut and he's he is he has enlisted and he's in the back of a troop transport at, that has gotten lost and they stumble across a checkpoint on the wrong side and he's captured mm-hmm. and after that they're uh, exists the like I don't know how long it is it feels like it's going to dominate the whole film but some unbelievably grueling but incredibly beautifully composed uh, scenes of torture and um, that, that that are you know that need to be plastered in every available trigger warning um, mm-hmm. but at the same time then they do set up actually the, the majority of the film and I think the majority of the film's richer themes then happen in the very in the last hour of the film which is after he manages to get a, a, a prisoner exchange and go back home so a lot of it right. is about the the kind of the effects of PTSD, which he isn't even really allowed to manifest yet because the war is still ongoing. So right. for me as well, there was a, there's a certain allegorical level on which Sergei then comes to stand for the nation of, of Ukraine itself. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that nobody ever really truly comes back from the war and it's certainly not a war that is still that is still still intractable. So, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of basically the setup of yeah. it. And despite the fact that this is incredibly visceral and really gory graphic moments um, in the, the, that torture section. I think the, the most resonant and most interesting allegorical power and uh, metaphorical power that the film conveys comes in, in that latter part. And it is specifically the reason I think that the whole, that the film is called Reflection and, and as, I, as I understand it, his prompting for making the film at all, or his prompting for the idea of the film, mm. was actually an incident where a bird flew into his window. Oh, um, okay. And so there's this moment in the, in the film where that exactly happens after he has come back from the war um, and Andre has not come back from the war and uh, where his daughter is staying with him in his, his apartment. Again, his very pristine, very kind of bourgeois, very you know, nicely appointed apartment and a bird flies into the window and dies below and then it leaves this slightly uh, this sort of ghostly residue on yeah. the window that that sort of is is there the whole time even after he cleans it off the still the smear is still sort of there um so yeah there's something about that and about the fact that the the bird was flying towards the reflection of the sky so there's something right. about um flying towards a, a or trying to take wing towards some sort of idea of freedom where mm-hmm. you think it's empty but actually there is this um, barrier this clear barrier and it's reflected as well in so many of his compositions because so many mm-hmm. of his compositions are actually based on windows within windows or doors within mm-hmm. doors so you have a lot of these frames which are squared off already but there's another space beyond that you can see but maybe can't access yeah I mean there the opening scene in the in the paint uh, the yeah. paintball and then there's a surgery there's theater, a surgery theater. Um, then there's, there's lots of cars car wind, uh, yeah, car, wind, windows. car windshields are um, they at a drive-in at one point yeah yeah which is such a crazy scene yeah it's almost like yeah. a, it's like one of those like early von Trier like rear projection yes things. it looks like rear projection for a moment and you're like what the hell is going on yeah. here and yes but they're actually at a drive-in and that's that's before he goes and then even after they come back like there's a scene where his daughter falls off a horse and she uh, breaks her breaks her hand and she goes into the x-ray room and even in the x-ray room there's like a little panel oh, behind yeah. <laughs> it that sort of gives you another sense of another window it's just I mean it, it, most of these things I think are, are there as a sort of graphic accoutrements but mm. like there is there is something about these this idea of abutting onto other onto other spaces yeah yeah um, and the thing about a lot of these scenes is, is 
that you have a lot of time to look at these compositions mm. because the whole movie I found was built out of these slabs. <laughs> these, mm. uh, anywhere from, I guess I, people always estimate wrong, uh, especially with ovations. But in this case, mm -hmm. the length of the scene, I honestly think a lot of them were two minutes and up to eight, nine minutes. I mean, I didn't actually measure it. Mm. And that changes the, the quality of the scenes. Obviously, you know, there are these kind of, you know, almost tableau, vivant sort of yeah. quality. And I, I have to say, you know, at times I found that sometimes a bit of an obdurate kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> approach. There was something sort of uh, resistant, not necessarily like punishing. I mean, the torture, it's going to be pun it's going to be mm. hard no matter if it's short or long. So in that case, I actually sort of appreciated it was long because it doesn't it doesn't spare you any of mm. it. And, you know, why should one really mm. be spared with what's, what's happening? Um, and those scenes are brutal. I mean, there's a drill. There's a drill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is a, a knife plunged into a body at one point. And yeah. 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 And there's just such a just just such a fragility of anyone having anything to do with the war mm. um, in, in that regard. And this kind of recurring theme of mercenary attitudes. And, and um, Sergei is more of a, a, I guess you'd say, sort of sensitive soul. Uh, and so but he seems to be we keep running into people who, who are not <laughs> necessarily. Mm. But then there are people who are but um yeah i don't know i i i had a little trouble with with the length of of, of the scenes i don't know mm. i i mean again possibly because i you know came prepared after atlantis and yeah. also i mean and we shouldn't really be factoring this into the equation but it is again it's positioning within the competition and within a lot of the other things I've mm -hmm. seen yeah I think I was more willing to invest in this and it's longer than I than I might have been otherwise if I'd just seen a whole bunch of like really heavy heavy duty art house movies just before it right um, but I also was really struck and I think I kept on then as soon as I noticed this was happening I kept on trying to see it more and it made the time of those uh, shots mm. pass uh, quicker was the the um, reflection the 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 mirror mm -hmm. image of what what a person does in peacetime and what they do what they might do in war and I think there was something super interesting in the fact that he's a surgeon and so we have already seen him trying to save mm -hmm. somebody's life and later on we'll see him take somebody's life mm -hmm. and even within the the compositions of of those of those scenes that they're, they're, they're often direct echoes of each other mm -hmm. um, there's uh, a lot of times when he's back in his apartment he's lying on his sofa which is like almost in exactly the same position and exactly the same lighting that he lies on the cot in that horribly dismal oh, wow. thing where he tries to mm -hmm. uh, kill himself with a piece of broken tile yeah. um, and so you know even the fact that he's a, a surgeon so he's used to using scalpels and then suddenly he's using this broken tile it's just the, these sort of crazy mirror image reflections inverses yeah. of of who you are during peacetime being reflected into who you are during war and then mm -hmm. the really compelling thing for me was then coming back to himself trying to come back to himself and his his situation after those those things which yeah. I think is I think almost anybody could sort of have thought of the the, the setup of, of that dichotomy of those oppositions but then to try and work through how it is you regain your soul or whatever mm -hmm. it is um, or how it is you get back to some sort of uh, semblance of normality um, mm -hmm. I think is is the subtler and more kind of for me more compelling um, mm -hmm. and 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 unfinished like it's a, it's a really mm -hmm. unfinished piece it's it's a piece that you have to 
you have to fill in a lot of gaps yourself and you have to decide and it's it's ambivalent and even it's very ending which is a very strange scene that the very end scene which oh, is yeah. the the um where they're guessing each other's footsteps yeah um is a very strange scene and it's very out of kilter with with almost everything that has gone before and even there it's, it felt to me slightly like an almost artificial attempt to leave on a slight uptick of hope or something a slight mm. uptick of the idea that the family or familial affection can survive even these extreme circumstances right. but i think that more for me the the build up to that was that actually everything every positive has a has its negative correlation mm -hmm. um when you uh when you divide it along the symmetrical axes of war so like grief and guilt get sort of replicated across this axis in what i felt found really formally striking and really uh rewarding ways yeah no i mean thank you for that that, that kind of um analysis because that does actually open up the movie more for me i mean exactly in the sense that it provides a way to kind of a thread to kind of connect things because yeah i would sometimes feel a little marooned in these individual mm. um set pieces but that definitely resonates the idea of negotiating between these two worlds, which are one world, of course, especially when it, the war is right on the doorstep. Yes. Um, and yeah. is, you know, with an enormous neighbor. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, it, but it's also then it's like a different planet when he goes, you know, it's only, yeah. si he, I think he, they say early on, his hospital that he works in as a civilian is only like eight hours away from the front or something. So oh, this yeah. is like eight hours away or it took a patient eight hours to get from the front to the hospital. Right. So this is like a relatively close by thing. And yet it does mm -hmm. feel like a, yeah. like a like a trip, you know, through the rabbit hole and into out into a completely inverse world. Yeah. And, um, I might I might just uh, piggyback onto this movie a little because there's another movie about this Ukraine conflict, mm. um, which couldn't be more different. Mm. Uh, it is a black and white verite documentary called Trenches, um, which I hope to talk about. I hope to talk about more later. But just in case I don't, I'm just going to leave this here <laughs> for people to to watch. It's, I mean, I think it's kind of great that in the same festival you have these two entirely different approaches, and and that one. And both of them also just serving to remind that I guess it's an ongoing, it's like mm. a live conflict zone mm. that for some reason um, has just sort of entirely vanished from any kind of media coverage. Probably not entirely, you know, an accident. So yeah, it's quite interesting to see those two movies. But that's that's reflection. I, I wanted to see if we could talk about maybe just quickly. There's there's an Italian movie, um, and I confess I was curious about this one, if only because it was very succinctly titled Catholic School. Yes, the Catholic School. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, this is directed by um, a guy called Stefano Mordini, and it is a. Uh, recreation, like a retelling. I mean, it's actually based on a book, which is itself the the, the retelling of a of a very notorious crime that occurred in 1975 in mm. Italy, and it's sort of one of those crimes that you know shook bourgeois Italian society, apparently, okay. um, uh, because it was a group of very privileged uh, upper class um, Catholic school boys who raped and murdered, uh, basically went on a on a spree of um oh. but it particularly resulting in the death of one girl and the uh they actually thought that the other girl was also dead which is the only reason that we ever heard about this oh. crime is that she was actually she she managed to survive and she she obviously told the police mm. so anyway this was a it's a really notoriously grisly crime and the thing with the film that is 
super disturbing to me mm. is that it's such a dubiously handsome film. Like it's a dubiously oh, wow. well-made, sus suspiciously, uh, in, you know, invested in the, the beauty of its young protagonists. And of course, yes, I'm sure they were very beautiful young men, whatever it was. But mm. there's something about how how it's styled um, so well, like the 70s styling is so great, is so well done. And, and for the f entire first, like more than two thirds, the first three quarters of the film, um, there's even there's a voiceover and it's at one point this is practically like that's the summer it all changed i think he actually says something like that like that's the summer it all changed and it's mm -hmm. almost being recast as it's as a as a coming of age story or something like that so it's uh -huh. not one of the guys who's directly participating himself but it's him talking about his year in in this catholic school so despite the fact i mean it's incredibly well made and i think it's going to probably do very well in italy but mm -hmm. i think there's something fundamentally just suspect about about okay. making something that is so so enjoyable up to a point and then yeah. boom suddenly we're in a, a 15 hmm. minute um, or maybe 20 minute maybe more um, scene of extended quite graphic rape and torture wow yeah wow and and I, I mean is there the sense is there a sense that they want to build up the sense of like total normalcy and, and actually and no I mean it, this is one of the other things that slightly that bothered me about it um, mm. is that from the beginning, even with this voiceover of, of a, the guy who's not one of the participants but knows all of the people involved, there's a sense he's he's trying, obviously not to justify this crime. In fact, he's very much from the beginning. It's there's a sort of a, a foreshadowing of this, like, but it it is trying to place these aberrant crimes within the context of Italian society at the time. And he mm -hmm. says something about like violence was our way of life or whatever it was. And um, it was just everywhere around us. And they go into you know, some of the parental relationships that these boys have right. and, and how indulged they are. Um, they're all, you know, experimenting with sex and how, how the sort of embedded uh, misogyny of uh, Italian culture at that time could have contributed to this, mm. to this sort of thing. And yet, at the same time, because it's from the point of view of one of the guys who didn't rape and murder anybody, okay. there is this sort of weird, weird tension there of like, well, if 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 that is part of the factor, how come you know, how come it wasn't more widespread, right. and how come we are still, we do we are so shocked when when it actually happens in the film. Mm. So it hasn't quite resolved for me this its fundamental impulse. Whether its fundamental impulse is to bed this down into the social context of right. the time, or whether it's to to put these crimes where they should be which is so far beyond the pale mm -hmm. um, so I yeah it for a, for a whole bunch of reasons I think it's a really compromised um, mm. film but again some some really nice jackets <laughs> <laughs> the, the finest in yeah. bourgeois couture and casual wear um, yeah. Goodness. Okay. Well, somehow I, I managed to evade that <laughs> that experience. That was a Catholic school, and I wanted to just sort of uh, end with a, a movie that you was maybe your favorite in, in, in this year's edition. Parallel Mothers, right? One of my favorites. Definitely one, one of, of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, mm. So, well, yeah, Parallel Mothers. So Pedro Almodovar's film, um, which opened the festival. So it was the very first film I saw here. I think like Parallel Mothers, like did something to my brain. It, I can't describe how how it was like, sometimes you don't know what you're, I think I tweeted this, but like sometimes, sometimes you don't know 
what you're hungry for until you're eating it. Hmm. And and when I while I was watching Parallel Mothers, I was like, this is actually what I've missed. When when we've talked, I mean, we've all talked at infinitum and written at infinitum about what we miss about going to the cinema and mm-hmm. the pandemic and all the rest of it. And I have been going to the cinema. I've been very privileged to be going to the cinema. I've been going to cinema since certainly very consistently since Cannes. Okay. So um, <laughs> so I haven't really been that star for the big scene screen experience but there was just something about parallel mothers where I, I mean and it's Almodovar whom I love anyway but there's just the amount of life and chaos and mm. and and just uh, vibrancy that mm-hmm. a, a flat beam of light projected against a wall can contain mm-hmm. and I had think I, that's I had forgotten that even all through a, an amazingly good can lineup and an amazingly good um, you know bunch of films that I have seen on the big screen none of them quite had that for me and that was that was where I was just like sitting there with my eyes I trying to scoop the film into my eyes it was just it's it's so and it's I mean it's so broad and there's and there's so many things actually so many thematically there's so many themes in it that that I think are probably a little bit problematic or a little bit um, not what I would normally go for there's a certain level on which um, the Penelope Cruz character in it um, could be seen as sort of upholding some sort of idea of biological essentialism that you know it's, it's it is all about whether or not your child is 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 biologically related to you okay. um, which in itself is a slightly problematic idea mm. um, but uh, but even with that even like not necessarily agreeing with what we might construe to be its politics it's just so full of verve and so full of of a kind of life I had missed so much that um, it really it blew a gasket in my brain and I mm. think as a result uh, again of this sort of front-loading of the festival then when Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog was then later mm. on that same day and I mean The Power of the Dog is an immaculately well-made an extremely elegant beautiful movie and there's lots of amazing things to recommend it um, I'm wondering how much of my slight ambivalence towards The Power of the mm. Dog was just because it was elegant and stately and I didn't want that anymore I just wanted right. the, the, the noise and the chaos and the right. and the enormous emotions and the sort of telenovela the complete embrace of yeah. soap operatics um, which I just felt was so overwhelmed by um, really I felt like my my ears and my hair was being blown back from the screen <laughs> throughout the entirety of, of Parallel Mothers so yes yeah. I just adored it yeah no I, I, I liked it a lot weirdly my order was flipped just because I was I could not see it um, I, I was delayed so I could not see it first so I saw Power the Dog first ah, okay. um, and it is a, yeah it is interesting I wonder if it is the, the, the order that, that, that helps um, sometimes, um, but I had actually, funnily enough, watched um, all about my mother. Oh yes. But on mute on the plane because I. <laughs> I just had, and it's his movies. That's part of it. It's just that you could just be watching the shapes, the colors, yeah. the people, the faces. Um, you know, someone who really still knows how to do a close-up on a face. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, especially if it's Penelope Cruz's Especially if it's Penelope and, Cruz. And Penelope yeah. Cruz is so wonderful in this. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. so wonderful. And apparently, I haven't seen Official Competition, which is the other film that she's oh, yeah. in, but apparently she's even, or if po- if possible, even better or something than in that one. But she's she's just so wonderful in this. And, and also then Parallel Mothers, because of her performance and because of the character that mm-hmm. she plays, sets up what I think for me has certainly so far been the abiding joy and surprise of this festival which mm. has been the the number of 
just incredibly great actresses playing really difficult, complicated, mm -hmm. and not always likable women. So we had Kristen Stewart in in, um, in Spencer, and we had um, Olivia Colman in The Last Lost Daughter. Yeah. Um, and and those three films for me are just such such like fantastic portraits of yeah. very complicated women, and I and I just adore all three of them. Yeah, and, and, and there's almost an embarrassment of riches uh, within Parallel Mothers because mm. the focus is sort of ostensibly on Penelope Cruz's character and Melina Smith plays the, the younger mother counterpart, but uh, Melina Smith's character's mother. Mother, yes. Who, who could yeah. be her own movie. She could, she absolutely could, and, e and even in the, in, the, in the small little scenes that we get of her, yeah. you know, there's a, an entire universe of, of yeah. sort of resentment and of weird motherhood. I mean, it's, a lot of these films are also about women questioning motherhood or women mm -hmm. like dealing with, with whether or not they should have been mothers or whether mm -hmm. or not they're good mothers. Um, and uh, what that specifically means to them personally, um, uh, yeah. not even necessarily in relation to their children, but in f for themselves. Um, and I find that a very compelling thing, even though I myself don't have children, I still find it an incredibly compelling um, topic. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I, I also, in a way, uh, you know, ties into Amoldovar's, he, he always kind of puts himself in a lineage of, you know, quote unquote, women's pictures mm. in Classicalo and that you know, the 40s and 50s are so full of that. And, yeah. and so that naturally starts in. But again, she, she is not even the focus necessarily of the movie, but he managed, I mean, his, his gift and, and his gift of direction and characterization means that she's not just, you know, this device in the movie. No, to, no, not um, at in all. Fact, I think she almost overshadows a little Melina Smith's character. Um, Teresa, the mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, yeah. both in the story, but also sort of in just the way it unfolds. And Melina Smith, I thought was, Interesting. I'm still kind of trying to figure out, though. I yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, th I think I was just so, again, just so blasted away by, by Penelope Cruz. I, I, yes. I, if, if anything, I think she's the, the sort of the device. Um, okay. And she's yeah. kind of, for uh -huh. me, the device that, that unlocks that certain level of Penelope Cruz's character. Which yeah. One of the things that I, I love it so much for is that I don't think that anybody gets Penelope Cruz like Almodovar does. But mm -hmm. I also don't think that anyone gets Almodovar the way Penelope Cruz does either. Mm -hmm. So there's this beautiful synergy yeah. between actress and director and, and between you know, what they wanted to do. But Almodovar is the only director, I think, who sees in her this kind of earthy, earth mother warmth, mm -hmm. which, you know, everybody else casts her as a sex kitten because she's Penelope Cruz. Um, <laughs> and Almodovar just sees her as this incredibly warm and like funny. She has like yes. lots of like funny she's little so lines that she says. She's just like odd. I mean, and, and that anybody can look at gorgeous Penelope Cruz and think, yeah, there's the oddball eccentric uh, earth mother person um, is, is just amazing. And then she absolutely yeah. kills it as yeah. in that character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just liked her so much. I liked her character so much. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, she's just so complete. She's such a complete yeah. person on screen and in a way you just so rarely really get. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's terrific. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I guess I guess we can probably um, bring it in for a landing there. But just since you mentioned Spencer, that was mm. another movie that you liked quite a bit. Yes, right? I did. I love Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that also, I mean, I found her performance incredible and and not dismissible as any kind of like stunt casting it's like no yeah. it's not but but, I, but then again i think the fact that she is who she is also does does give you that That's layer true, yeah, and yeah. i i find i mean 
I thought Spencer was hilarious. I thought, I mean, I, guess, I think it's, a, I, I really do think it's a high camp masterpiece. Uh -huh. And I mean, I think it's a masterpiece, but it's a high camp masterpiece. And I, I enjoyed every single moment of its campness. Yeah. Um, and there is a distance, there is a, there is an artificiality and an archness, which I think there was also in Jackie, but I think even more so here. Mm, um, mm. And I'm a huge Lorraine fan anyway. So I was probably always, you know, mm. gunning to be on board with this. But from the first moment that Kristen Stewart opens her mouth in that, in that cafe, when she's like, no, I'm, and she she does do a sort of an exaggeration of the breathiness of of, mm -hmm. of Di's voice and her accent is very good and all of those things. But it, it isn't an impersonation. It really is an interpretation, and it's an interpretation that leans very hard into the quality, which I think is the reason that I think she's brilliant casting. And that when I first heard all the you know self-confessed or self-appointed. Diana defenders being up in arms about the casting of Kristen Stewart. I was mm -hmm. like, well, no, I think she's perfect because mm -hmm. I don't, I can't think of anybody else who has that ability to project shyness the way mm -hmm. that Princess Diana did. I mean, it's a really unusual thing, and mm -hmm. and a lot of Kristen Stewart's star image is based on that. It's right. based on like she is one of the most famous people we have at the moment who hates fame, right. and that was Princess Diana's whole thing. And so this this ability to be both sort of radiant and reticent at the same time mm -hmm. is something that really I think. That, that Kristen Stewart has more than almost any other actress and it works so well in this film. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's a wonderful <laughs> one, I, wonderful note. I really love that formulation. So uh, we'll stop there. Thanks again for, for taking a moment to sit down before you wh whirl off to, whirl to another off to screening. the next thing. Yes. yes. Well, thank you very much for having me. Okay. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.